Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. We've been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. The most famous sermon ever preached was preached by Jesus himself. And really, in this sermon, you can find all other sermons. He goes over so many different points with so much genius, genius that can only be found in the creator, the designer. And so we've been speaking through the past few weeks through some of the subjects that Jesus touched upon. And today, we're going to go through the subject of prayer. You would know it as the Lord's Prayer. This is one of the most famous parts of the Sermon on the Mount. And today, I want to speak to you about some principles from the Lord's Prayer. This is how you can pray. And Jesus sets the model for us to pray. I think sometimes we don't pray because we overcomplicate it in our minds or we over-spiritualize it in Christian culture. We over-spiritualize it in, in the sense of what it should be and how anointed in the atmosphere when in, the, when in reality, prayer should be a simple thing that's practiced daily. And my goal through this sermon is really to preach a simple sermon that will help you integrate prayer into your daily life. My, my goal is that you would be able to practice praying. Last week, we talked about Jesus commanding us to practice righteousness. Well, here, he moves from practicing righteousness to teaching us how to practice praying. And, and, and I believe this. Prayer is personal communication with the one who knows you most, who loves you best, and who will lead you well. Prayer is personal communication with the one who knows you the most, for he designed you and made you and knit you together who loves you the best, though he knows all of your shortcomings, he still loves you thoroughly, and he will lead you well if you will allow him to lead you well. If you will commune with him, receive direction from him, he will be a lamp unto your feet. And so, Jesus teaches us how to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, he goes, he gives us this very famous verse and set of verses. He says, after this manner, Therefore, pray ye, doing the King James today, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, I love this part, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Just builds at the end there. See, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. This is his model on how to approach the throne. And who would know better on how to approach the throne than the one who sits on the throne? If you were to meet a great dignitary, a foreign king or leader, there would be protocols. And here Jesus is introducing to us the protocols to approach the throne of God. And he gives us this famous Lord's Prayer. But just a few verses before this, he gives us a warning on how not to approach God, on how not to pray. And so before we go through the simplicity of the model of the Lord's Prayer, I want to go through those verses. You can find them in verse 5, 6, and 7. Jesus talks about what prayer is not. And he says prayer is not or should not be performative. Prayer should always be for an audience of one. Prayer should always be from you to God, from earth to heaven, 
from your place to God's throne, from your lips to God's ears. Prayer should be between you and the Almighty. And Jesus gives us a warning, just like he did with practicing righteousness, to not become performative in our prayer. In other words, turning the point of our prayer to people, making it about ourselves or our thoughts. And Jesus gives us a couple different warnings um, in what prayer is not and should not be. First off, prayer is not to impress other Christians. You see this many times, especially in the Christian subculture that can grow out of church, that, that prayer becomes uh, filled with, uh, with verbiose and grandiose sayings, that, that prayer can become sort of a performance for all the other prayers around. And, and people will say things like, oh man, that prayer was anointed. Or, or, or sometimes we'll use big spiritual words and have them kind of flow sweetly together. And after this great journey of this long prayer, we're wowed at the ability for someone to put these words together in such a way, the problem is it doesn't bring glory to God because the prayer isn't to God. But hear me, what Jesus is calling for is prayer that shouldn't be done in the public square for the people, but he says, when you do pray, go in your prayer closet, shut the door and get alone with you and with your God who loves you. It should not be to impress everyone around you. That's spiritual pride. Jesus also warns, when you pray, do not pray to preach at others. Do not pray in such a way that other people are getting what you're saying because the minute you pray, the minute you pray and it's pointed at men, it's not directed or received by God. You pray, let the Holy Spirit convict you pray, let the Holy Spirit convict. Have you ever heard one of those prayers where people are trying to preach the gospel to you while they're praying for you, but they're trying to convict you while they're praying something for everyone, but it's not for everyone, it's for you. And sometimes you and I might get stuck in this where we're praying for someone, but we're really trying to communicate something. Listen, se separate your witnessing from your praying. Separate your confronting from your praying. If you're going to pray, let it be for God and let it be to God. And if that person's praying with you, let them join in as you pray to God. But don't try and use prayer to communicate your own point. That's misusing prayer. The last thing that Jesus warns against when we pray is to not pray with mindless repetition. Mantras, meditations, maxims, pre-written prayers that you, that you say with your lips but aren't connected to your heart. That you, you use the words, but your mind is not engaged. Jesus doesn't want a drone to just speak words. In fact, he says, you that do this, you, you think with your many words that you're more heard by God. But please hear me. More words does not mean more effect. Let me put it very simply. Short prayers from God's people produce much. Short prayers from God's people produce much. You don't need to have prayer beads. You don't need to have prayer candles. You don't need to have the right lighting or the right music and the right words said over and over and over. You just need to have the right heart. You and God, and you're communicating to him. Short, simple prayers from his saints produce much. And then when you do pray, trust God that he heard it and he'll answer it. So this is what Jesus starts with. He's saying, this is how I don't want you to pray. Why? Because the Pharisees prayed so that other people would would um, bring accolades to them, would notice them. 
those that were consumed to dead religion, they made their prayer all about themselves. And, 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 and then he says, he, and then the pagans, all they do is, is say things that they don't even understand. But God says, I want your heart and I want your mind. When you pray, I want your heart and I want your mind. I want you to engage both of those things. So now that you've established that, now that we understood that, now Jesus gives us the model. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Pray like this. The key word here is the word like. Pray like this. See, the Lord's Prayer was never, ever meant to be a mantra. I'm glad that we all know it, and I'm glad that we can all repeat it, but it was not created for mindless repetition. The, the Lord's Prayer was created to be a model, not a mantra. It was created for us to be given a framework so that we might enter into that framework but decorate it ourselves, renovate it ourselves, build it up ourselves. It's the framework to a house, but it's just that. Now you enter into the house and you fill it up yourself with your own words. So I would encourage you to even pray through the Lord's Prayer on your own every day, but not to just pray that. Pray a line and then use that line to pray the point of the line. This is what Jesus is giving us. It's the protocols to approach the throne. When you pray, Jesus says, pray like this. So this is our model. He begins saying, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This first point is that when we begin to pray, God first puts us with these words in the proper perspective. When we're praying, who are we praying to? Praying to our Father. Where is he? He is in heaven. He is beyond our dimension. He is in the spiritual realm. And, and, and what is he worthy of? He's worthy of all honor and all, all glory. You know that the way that we enter the throne room into his courts is with praise. When we begin to pray, we lift up who God is. And I love that Jesus begins by saying, our father. See, Jesus could have said, my father. Jesus could have said, I'm the son, and I'm going to keep this between me and my father. But this is the gospel found right here in these two words. Because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, you and I are able to say our father. We're included in Jesus's prayer. We are included in the right to approach the throne boldly. I know we brush over this, but this is amazing. We're able to come before God and say, God, whatever our earthly father is, he doesn't have the final say. You are our first and our foremost and our forever father. You love me. You created me. You've looked after me. And now I'm coming before you. And I join with Jesus in coming before you, our father. I want you to know no one else has any more right than you do to come before God. Because of the blood of Jesus, you have as much right as anyone who has ever lived or ever will live to pray to your father. Our father, who art in heaven, which art in heaven. Now we begin to glorify who he is and where he is. And what we're doing is we're acknowledging his preeminence, that he reigns over all, is first over all, is foremost over all, is authoritative over all. We acknowledge your preeminent, our Father which art in heaven. He goes before us. He rules over us. I think this is important because this helps us position ourselves correctly. You are God. You are the provider. I am the receiver. I am the asker. You are the fulfiller. This is positioning us correctly. You have to come before God in humility. 
our Father which art in heaven. You know, God is in heaven before us. And Jesus even says, I'm going to heaven to prepare a place for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up an area that will be prepared specifically for you. See, why that matters is because when you are praying, you're praying to the one that's ahead of you, that's above you. Can you imagine if you were going to go on a trip to a beach house? Let's say you were going with uh, some friends or your parents, and they got there before you. And as you're gathering your stuff, what you would do is most likely you'd call ahead. You'd find out. Did you get settled in? What's it look like? How's the view? Is it nice? Do you have any food? And, and you would ask some questions. What should I bring? What should I not bring? Which route should I take? Which place should I avoid? If I, when I get there, how do I grant, how, how am I granted access beyond the gate? How am I granted a key through the door? See, when you pray, you're calling to your Father who is ahead of you. You're, you're, you're calling out to Jesus who has gone before you to prepare a place. And, and this is where you say, Lord, what matters in this life? What can I bring to the afterlife? What's valuable in this life here and now? Which direction should I take in this life? Which one would get me lost? Which one would be the right way? See, this is what prayer is. It's calling ahead. And we know that the access into that house, that heavenly beach house, it's through Jesus. He is the gate and he is the door. And so when we pray, we are calling to God and we're saying, God, you're in heaven, which is where we're headed. And so we need you now to help lead us towards you. And then the verse says, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is God revealed to us. His name is Jesus. It's through the name of Jesus that we receive salvation. It is through the name of Jesus that we receive healing and freedom. It's through the name of Jesus that we are made whole. Whenever I talk to people and they don't know what to pray, I would always say, say the name of Jesus. If you don't have the words, if you don't have the, any spiritual gifts yet, you can still say the name of Jesus. It is the most powerful name above all all names, and it is our right to pray, our Father which art in heaven, holy be your name, righteous be your name. His name is Jesus, and Jesus revealed who God is to us. The book of Acts says this in chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we are saved. The name of Jesus brings salvation to us. But more than that, he doesn't just bring salvation, he also sets us free. It's the name of Jesus that releases us from bondage and from oppression. I see this happen every single Sunday at the altar. When people come to church, it's a great thing for us to do, gathering with the saints. But then I see a lot of people take another step. They come to the altar and they receive prayer when we're praying by the name of Jesus, I see people every week set free. I mean every week. I mean, I've seen people even recently be set free from demonic oppression, reigning over their life, terrorizing their night, terrorizing their dreams. But when they begin to say the name of Jesus, his blood begins to cover their mind and cover their body, and that demon no longer has authority greater than the name of Jesus. And that, or, and I've seen people healed of true past situations that were insane. And, but as they begin to renounce spirits, as they begin to renounce experiences, and they begin to receive the name of Jesus, he comes in 
and begins to radically change us. This is not complicated. This is so simple. It's by the name of Jesus that you're saved. It's by the blood of Jesus that you are set free. So pray by his name. Plead his blood over you. If there's an area of your life uncommitted, when you pray daily is the day, Lord, I recommit this to you over and over. If there's an area of your life that you're under attack by the enemy, if there's an area of your life where you've endured trauma, if there's an area of your life that you can't seem to find freedom, continue to plead the blood of Jesus. I know this to be true. The blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus, as you lift it up over your life, things in your life begin to come into alignment. There comes healing. There comes change. There comes freedom. And I've seen it happen in days. I've seen it happen in moments. I've seen it happen in months and years. But know this, that when you begin to pray the name of Jesus, your life begins to be changed. Jesus goes on and says, Now thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Our Father who art in heaven, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every time you pray, you appeal to God's authority and you invite him to intervene. And how many know you need God to intervene in your life? But see, God's default position is not to intervene. He, he's waiting for you to ask him. God's default position is you do you. But the moment you say, God, I need you in my life, we need you on this earth. We need you in our state. That's when you give God divine permission. I remember when Jesus said to Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, but you're going to have to use those keys. You're going to have to open some doors, close some doors. When you pray, you begin to use the keys, the authority that God has given you. And so you invite Jesus into your home. You invite Jesus into your bedroom. You invite Jesus into your mind onto your children and your family and your future, you say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Hear me, this request can only come, though, at the end of yourself. You can't say your kingdom come and your will be done if you still want to do it your way, your timing, your vibe, your rules. When you pray this prayer, you're acknowledging the end of yourself. And you are acknowledging now that I'm going to choose your way over my way. You're saying this. You're saying thy kingdom over my world. Thy kingdom over my world. What does this mean? This means you are willingly setting aside anything that would get in the way of God's kingdom in your life. Your political ideology cannot be held higher than God's kingdom and God's kingdom mindset and God's kingdom principles in your life. Your passions, your hobbies, your success, your career, has to come under in submission of God's kingdom in your life. It's God's kingdom that's eternal. And it's God's kingdom that will last. And so when we pray, Jesus says, pray that God's kingdom comes. Over man's kingdom, which crumble and fall, empires crumble and fall, but his kingdom will last forever. I hope in your own personal biography, Jesus follower, citizen of the kingdom, I hope it comes before anything else. Before father or mother or, or husband or, or, or before a, a citizen of the United States or, or, or around the world, wherever you're from, before your career, before your, 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 your passions, I pray, citizen of the kingdom of God comes first and comes foremost because it is the only thing that's going to last with you into eternity. So I think it's 
think it's appropriate on July 4th that we are thankful for America, thankful for this great nation, its values, its ideas, the freedom that it's brought so many of us, the opportunity that's in this land that is really not in many other lands. We're thankful, but this isn't our final home. And this nation is not God's kingdom. We love it, but we're citizens of the kingdom of God. When Jesus becomes our king, you join the kingdom. And when you pray daily, Jesus is saying, realign yourself with my kingdom. And this is when you say, Lord, I, I submit my will over to you. Thy kingdom over my world, thy will over my way. Which means I not only submit like where I live and who I am and what I do, I also submit my inner self. I submit my opinions to you. Your will over my opinions. Your will over secular culture, the direction of the crowd, peer pressure, what my friends are doing or, or where my emotions want to take me. No, I choose your will, your will over my favorite sin. I say, Lord, I will follow you even if I don't fully understand it all or agree at all or if I'm not even perfect in my submission every day, I'm going to continually voice your kingdom and your will, God. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. I love that Jesus says, before you follow me, there's some things I want you to do. I want you to deny yourself, and I want to take up your cross. Self-submission, self-sacrifice, and then the following begins. And in this prayer, Jesus is saying, now I want you to pray like this daily. Every day, I want you to realign with who I am. And then he says, and, and I want you to pray on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is the reigning leader of heaven, and, and his results are amazing, but his results come from his leadership. So a heavenly utopia comes from God in charge. And make no mistake, heaven is going to be a theocracy, which means that God is in the highest position of authority. It's not a democracy. God's not looking for our opinion. God's looking for our submission. And the more we are able to say less of me and more of you, the more God's blessings can flow to his people. The problem is many times we want his results with our way. We say, bless me, Lord. And God says, no, I want to bless, I want to bless the things of the kingdom. I'm going to put my hand on my way. Now align yourself with that and you'll be blessed. But you can't live your own life with your own instincts and your own direction and your own thoughts and your own secular culture and your own stuff and, 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 and ignore the kingdom and ignore the will and say, God, I still want the blessings though. No, on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray, say, Lord, in my home as it is in heaven, which also means I put you first. In anything that challenges God for that position of preeminence, I'll sacrifice it. So it seems like, amazingly how simple this prayer gets deep and this simple prayer is complicated and I love that Jesus says I want you to pray like this every day because every day it's us coming back to the well and receiving from God and being renewed and restored and rejuvenated but it's also when we come to the gardener and, 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 and he's pruning areas of our life that that aren't in submission areas of our lives that life that will keep us back through prayer all of this happens on a practical level. Lord, we choose. And that's what prayer is. Prayer presents this simple choice. Thy or my. Thy or my. I pray you and I, in increasing measure, choose thy. Lord, thy kingdom, thy will, 
thy way, thy word. Thy word over my opinions, Lord. Thy way over my desires, Lord. Thy rule over my plan, Lord. I'm in submission to you. Are you still with me? We're almost done. Got a couple more parts of the prayer. And I believe that these next two points are going to help you. Bible goes on. Jesus goes on saying this. Give us this day our daily bread. Can you believe how far it took us before we ever got to asking something from God? Like how deep into this prayer we are? Normally we start here. Lord, give. But Jesus says, no, position yourself, align yourself, submit yourself. Now you can ask, give. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. God's presence, I want you to, I want you to catch this. God's presence, it rests on the present. I don't think it's by accident that God said, give us this day that's present. Our daily bread. You know, you can't keep bread that long or it begin, begins to be mold, moldy and inedible. This whole, this whole portion of the prayers to, designed to, to keep us in the present. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, I feel like God is saying, here's what I want you to do when you pray. Pray for that day. Be here now. That's a difficult thing. We're, 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 we're people that are consumed with the future. What's coming, what should be, what's happening. All of us want to move forward. We either want to live in the future or live in the past. But here God's calling us right here to the present. This day matters. I want you to begin praying for me to be your provider today. That's God's promise. Today, I will be your provider. What about tomorrow? No, no. Today, I will be your provider. I'm hearing so many stories in our church, really amazing, of people that gave many for the first time in the freedom offering we had to pay off the church debt. I'm so grateful for everyone that stepped into faith. And I'm hearing stories now, testimonies of people that gave a certain amount and received that amount or twice that amount and within even short weeks. And it's amazing. Amazing stories of, of jobs that were gotten or wild stories of payments that were canceled or inheritances that they didn't even know they had that came through. You know, those kind of miracle stories that always happen when people stretch their faith in giving. But what I love is that as they trust God, he reveals himself as the provider. Over and over, he, he'll reveal himself as the provider. Give us this day our daily bread. That's his promise. Trust me. Put me in the right position, I will be the provider. But what does God provide? He provides today's needs, not tomorrow's wants. Today's needs, not tomorrow's wants. A lot of times we become overwhelmed when our desires take control of us and try and take control and form our future. And that's where anxiety comes in and fear comes in and, and, and um, nervousness and we get on a line when, we, when we're constantly trying to control the future. And God says, I'm here to be a provider of what you need today. I would challenge you, think of a day. Think of a day, if you can, that God didn't come through. That he didn't provide what you needed for that day. He's faithful every minute, every moment. Sometimes we want to take that faithfulness and say, okay, but now what about the future? What about what I'll be? What about what my kids are going to be? What about the college education? What about the nation? And we start psyching ourselves out, it's because we're not following this model. Jesus says, pray, but pray for today. Lord, this is what I need today. This is what the plan is. This is what I'm hoping. This is what my spouse needs, or I need a spouse today. Whatever your prayers, keep it in the present. 
Because that's where God operates. His presence operates in the present. I think it's amazing. One of the strange spiritual gifts, or one of, one of the strange gifts that we've received through the pandemic was the loss of control. It, it was like a, a strange gift that I would have never asked for, never wanted. And yet I've talked to so many people that have told me that when they lost control, it brought them back to the feet of Jesus. When they no longer could, could fill themselves with anxiety, when they no longer could try and form or force the future to be their way and their timing, it brought them back here. To Lord, give us this day. I don't know what's going on tomorrow, but give us this day my daily bread. And you know what? God's provided every step of the way. My challenge to you would be to, when you pray, position yourself as the receiver and God as the provider. Engage your faith and your trust in that way. And I believe you'll, you'll, that God will reveal himself to you every day. He'll show his faithfulness to you. Jesus goes on and says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What is prayer without repentance? Repentance realigns us with God. I mean, that seems to be a theme of this sermon. It's prayer that realigns us. It's prayer that brings us back into the things of God and the mindset of God. Repentance realigns us. Imagine you were on a journey to a distant land. You only had maps, roads, guides. You didn't have GPS or the modern stuff. If you had to cross a great distance, what you would do every night is you would check where you are, where the maps say you are, against the North Star. It's a constant. It's there every night. And in that process, every night, you would realign your location with the right direction. Every time you pray and every time you repent, it realigns you with God's direction for your life. That's where you're headed, is into eternity. And repentance is the thing that keeps you aligned with his spirit, aligned with his forgiveness, aligned with the fruits of the spirit. And Jesus is saying, stay aligned every day. It's amazing how quickly you can get out of alignment. It's amazing how quickly you can get off course. And Jesus is saying, use this moment. When you pray, say, Lord, forgive my debts. Forgive the things I've accumulated against you and against people. Forgive the things I've seen and, and, I've, and I have not seen, known and, and, and that maybe I missed. Forgive me, Lord, for what I owe. But then here's Christ's caveat. Christ's caveat is, as you forgive, as you forgive your own debtors. Christ's caveat is this. If, if I forgave you, you forgive them. If I forgave you, you forgive them. You've heard the phrase, forgive and forget. Sometimes it's difficult to forget. But you can at least do this, forgive and move forward. But without forgiveness, you'll always be stuck in that sunken place. See, Jesus is not only trying to get you to forgive because it's the right thing to do. He's trying to get you to forgive because, because it's the best thing to do. It's the thing that washes you, keeps you clear, and cleansed, and whole, and keeps you fruitful and kind and your heart soft towards people. Those that refuse to forgive, they can never move on. What Jesus is saying every day, forgive and you'll be forgiven. Ask and you'll receive, but I want you to forgive those 
around you. That's God's deal that he makes with us, his people. And my hope is that when you pray, and you pray like this, it becomes a process that produces in you Christ-likeness. Prayer is a process that produces Christ-likeness in you. Every day turns into a month, a year, 10 years, you will be a different person if you continue to keep to this kind of praying, the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says this, and Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. I love these two phrases, lead us and deliver us. These are the characteristics of Jesus. He is the leader and he is a deliverer. Just as Moses led God's people out of Egypt, so Jesus comes to lead his people out of evil. But let him be your guide. Let him be your leader. This is another moment where you have to choose, God, I can't deliver myself. But thank God that he is a deliverer. He doesn't just forgive, he rescues. He doesn't just help, he heals. He, he doesn't just bring back, he makes whole. He is a leader and a deliverer. That's what Jesus came to earth to do. The cross is the instrument of salvation, yes, but also of deliverance. I believe you can receive deliverance in your mind. I believe you can receive it in your body. You might say, well, I've been addicted for too long. Deliverance is God's promise. Begin to pray in that direction. And maybe you say, well, I don't know how to. I challenge you, get a prayer partner. If you don't know someone that knows how to pray, contact us. Go to the Awakening Church. Go to the Jesus page. Use our prayer app. We'll get in contact with you, and we will pray with you. Because when two people begin to pray on something, when they keep each other accountable, when they begin to focus on something, the Holy Spirit always comes into the midst of that faith. You say, Lord, you're going to lead me now, but I also believe you're going to deliver me. When you begin to pray that over you, that promise begins to work in you because of who Jesus is. His character is to lead and deliver. Let's finish up. The final part of the prayer is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You finish with magnifying the Lord. Remember how we started the prayer? Hallowed be thy name. And now you say, for, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You begin and you end with praise. And hear me, when you magnify the Lord, you minimize your problems to the right, to the right perspective. When you minimize the Lord in your life, you magnify your problems because you have to be your own savior. But the more you pray and you say, God, you are good and you reign forever and you've always been faithful. You were faithful to David and Joseph. You were faithful, faithful to my father, my mother, my grandmother. You were faithful in my life last year. The more you begin to magnify who God is and what his character is, so he reigns that character down on you. And it's not that you don't have problems. That's not what I'm saying. Certainly, in this light, you will have many troubles. But Jesus says, but take heart, have faith, I have overcome the world. When you begin to declare who God is, it is your kingdom, you've overcome the world. It is your power, you've overcome the world. It is your glory because you've overcome the world. When you magnify God, the problems of your life, they become minimized to the appropriate size. I can deal with this today. I might not be able to solve it, I might not to be, get, be able to get out of the fullness of this situation, but I've got enough to get through it. And I know that in a series of days, months, years, God's going to help deliver me from it. So I'm going to keep magnifying him. And when you do that, 
God is God. You become you. He gets the glory and he gets it through you. And I always believe this prayer, good, true, real prayer, always leaves you in a position of gratitude. You know you've prayed when you're thankful for what God has given you. Prayer is personal communication with the one who knows you most, loves you best, and will lead you well. I pray that you are a people of prayer. And maybe you say, Jordan, I, I knew all of this already. I hope it was a good reminder. And I hope it's a call to pray again, to lead others in prayer. Maybe you've drifted from a life of prayer. Today's the day where I say, get practicing again. Put it in the morning, put it at night. In those little moments in between the day, become a prayer person, prayerful. And I believe that as you integrate this into your life, it's going to elevate your life because of who God is. He's a great awakener. Amen? Amen. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, that can happen through a prayer. And it's a simple prayer. Just saying, Lord, I need forgiveness. I admit that I'm a sinner and that you are the Savior. So, Lord, will you come into my life? Be my Lord. Be my God. I will worship you and I will follow you forever. If you pray that prayer and you mean it in your heart, that prayer can unlock salvation. It unlocks that door to the heavenly beach house. I pray that those of you that need to pray that prayer, you do so today. And we'd love to hear from you. Awakeningchurch.org slash Jesus. Get connected with you and help you take your, ne your next step. And, and maybe you're someone that, that you, you needed this reminder. I'd encourage you. Step back into it. Make a prayer plan. Set a place. Set a time. Get a prayer partner. Begin to re-engage in the life of prayer and prayer will change your life. Amen? God bless you. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.